Hello, this is Jessica Wall, the food reporter at AdAge. Welcome to another edition of the Marketer's Brief podcast, our weekly discussion about marketing news and trends that have the industry buzzing. On today's episode, we're talking about ways food companies should be thinking about marketing to consumers looking for healthier foods. We all know how easy it is to say that we're going to do a better job of eating healthy, only to maybe not stick to those plans once we see a snack that we're really craving. Partners in Napier is an ad agency with clients in the food and beverage industries, such as Burger Chain BurgerFi and Friendship Dairies, which makes cottage cheese and other dairy products. And Partners in Napier also works with brands in the health and wellness space. So it decided to do a study to help it spot what people believe about healthy food and also learn a bit more about consumers' actual behaviors. The study includes data from 1,136 U.S. adults split evenly between women and men. With me today is C.J. Gaffney, who's the director of planning at the agency, and he's based at their headquarters in Rochester, New York. Hi, CJ. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Marketer's Brief. Uh, Before we dive into this study, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do at the agency? Hey, Jessica. Um, My name is uh, CJ Gaffney. I work at Partners in Napier. Uh, We're located in Rochester, New York. Uh, We've got some offices in New York and San Francisco. My job, primarily, um, I lead the the strategic discipline within the agency, um, overseeing consumer insights, uh, cultural insights, the, the research that we tend to do as an agency, um, as well as just working with clients on their annual planning needs, um, just kind of embedded in, in a variety of teams. Um, personally, I, I tend to focus more on our food and beverage clients, just uh, just given the nature of my, my background and some of the work I've done in past lives. Um, and so um, that, that's kind of the extent of my day to day. And the new study is Partners in Napier's Healthy Eating in America, Insights on Bridging the Head-to-Stomach Gap. So one of the things that caught my attention was the executive summary says, turns out eating healthy in this country is really, really hard. Mm-hmm. The short version of this of this, of this study. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it shouldn't so, be. <laughs> it shouldn't be hard, but it is. People say that a healthy diet is important to them, right? The majority of people who mm-hmm. were in this study said a a healthy diet is important to them, but maybe it's easier said than done. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so let's talk about that. Let's uh, unpack that a little bit. What I find just so amazing is that, and I'm sure just in, in what all the uh, material that you cover, you know, it feels like, you know, we're making inroads, you know, there's more knowledge out there. Um, You know, there is uh, a ton of competition, you know, it used to, there, there always existed barriers to eating better. Um, I think, you know, whether it was cost or just convenience and things like that. Um, but what we've done now is kind of self-imposed. It's, it's, it feels like it's the, the complexity and you know, sort of the conflicting information that's actually creating a new barrier to, to eating healthy, which I find really fascinating. Cause again, you feel, you feel like in every other category, there's, there's people simplifying things. Um, this one, for some reason, feels harder and harder every year to figure out. So it feels like it's becoming more difficult to eat healthy, even though there's a, a wider variety of options out there. Absolutely. It, Is it just becoming more confusing? Like it lets yeah. there's so many things on the market right now that say healthy or mm-hmm. good for you or better for you or clean label. We can keep going and going and going with the lists of uh, descriptions, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, I, I would actually, you know, flip it to you, just as, as someone who kind of lives and breathes this as as much as I do. I mean, do you feel like you've got a, an honest handle on? what is and isn't healthy like year to year? I think I know what is healthy, but I also know what tastes good. And those aren't, aren't always the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that that's, that's really, um, it's very common. I mean, I think, and one of the, the areas in the study 
um, that we, that we kind of surfaced was, you know, just that we're creatures of habit and we kind of know what we know. Um, and it's, you know, you have a better chance of convincing people to try something, um, healthy if it's kind of a bridge to something they're already familiar with, like a, a twist versus kind of a net new proposition, you know, people get, I, I find, you know, and doing some work for, um, another fast casual, uh, brand, you know, in focus groups, it came up a lot that people, when they're introduced to something that's healthy, um, they're, they're often confused if it's, you know, if it's something they never heard of. Um, and then different personality types tend to take confusion one of two ways or either, you know, they, you know, they're, they're, they're everybody's uncle who just kind of says they dismiss it outright, like, ah, that's not for me, like that healthy crap, you know, or, you know, there's, you know, more of an intimidation factor of like, you know, the same reason why I don't do CrossFit, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's a healthy seems like a commitment. Um, and I feel like, it really just both stems from confusion. And I think that, you know, whether it's, you know, living a healthy lifestyle or, you know, just in the grocery store, buying the right types of foods, um, it feels like um, you, know, you hear, you can get just as much conflicting information on either side of an argument these days. If you, if you, you know, Google something um, and then we're just kind of left, um, you know, with our with, you know, scratching our head as to, to what we should be doing. And so rather than figuring out what to do, we, ignore all of the possible healthy options and turn to what's familiar and safe. <laughs> yeah. Comfort food. Right. So how are you helping companies understand the the phrases that they can use, the terminology that they should be using to appeal to the consumers that they're hoping to reach? Yeah. I think, you know, language is, is critical. I think that, you know, what we, what we've seen historically, um, you know, as, uh, as foods, really leveraging, you know, in the, in the package, the package goods segment, you know, claims, ingredients, um, you know, the kind of the, the things that people naturally go to. But uh, one of the things I found really interesting, um, and there, there's a, uh, a nice chart within our study that kind of illustrates this is that, you know, the brands that focus on inspiration over ingredients, you know, tend to be perceived as, you know, a, um, as, as a brand that as an advocate for health you know, even more than the brands that are explicitly talking about, you know, the healthy ingredients or nutrients or the things that they do and don't have. Um, and so the language can actually go a long way in terms of getting people, you know, over that, that, that hump and, and being willing to try something that is unfamiliar to them. So you have to sort of invite them in with language that's appealing. Yeah. Okay. I think it's, it's casual in, 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 in conversational first, you know, to me, uh, over claims. I mean, certainly if you have a revolutionary claim, like you don't want to bury it. Um, but I, I, I've never seen, you know, the taking a, you know, a casual conversational tone, um, not resonate with people. You know, I think you're going to get more trial, um, if you take that route and kind of demystify something. So what's an example of a, a product that you've seen, or maybe a campaign that, that, the agencies worked on where that casual tone is paid off. Um, something we worked on recently at the agency um, was for our our friendship dairies client. Um, this is a cottage cheese brand, um, which you know is no shocker to to people for years that it's it's good for you, um, and it kind of gets lumped into that category of like you know when people eat it, they often are you know sort of verbally approached and asked, are you on the diet? Why are you eating that? You know, um, it was actually something uh, that, that we learned in, uh, in a study we did years ago, but people were being shamed for eating it um, out in public. And so they kind of hit it uh, as a diet food. That, that sort of stigma attached to 
uh, food like cottage cheese um, isn't working. Like, yes, there are, there's, it's a superfood. There's tons of, of benefits to eating it um, for your health, but that's not getting people to try it who are, who are just, you know, have dismissed it for years. And so for, um, you know, we looked at a different product attribute that had nothing to do with health. Um, and, and that, and the friendship dairies brand tends to be less watery and runny and kind of gross the, the way that, you know, uh, you know, a lot of people perceive cottage cheese. It's, it's actually very creamy and smooth. And we just use the word smooth to, as sort of the cornerstone of the most recent campaign um, to really kind of get people to consider um, cottage cheese, uh, you know, not as just a, as a boring health food, um, but something that, you know, using the language that's more, more commonly associated with, you know, desserts, creamy ice creams and things like that. Not to say that they're eating them in the same occasions, but we're even featuring in, in some of our work, you know, people casually eating cottage cheese, like, like a dip. And it's because, you know, it's, it's smoother. And so I think it's just that shift away from like, we could talk to our blue in the face about, you know, all the, you know, wonderful health attributes contained within cottage cheese, but I don't think that's a surprise to people. So, so the, the shift in making it more conversational and, and ultimately beneficial to people, um, you know, is, is, is something that we're experimenting with. And, and we, we've seen, a, we've seen that brand particularly benefit from it, but, um, but I do, I do think it's a great Trojan horse to kind of like sneak people into doing things more, you know, healthy. If, um, if you kind of use language, that doesn't sound so scary. Okay. And how does that translate into taglines or packaging changes or anything like that? Is that something that needs to carry through? beyond the people eating it as a snack in the campaign? I actually think that the, you know, the point of sale and, and sort of seeing packaging as, as a, uh, a media vehicle um, is a great place to focus and place more emphasis on um, just that, like calorie count and the, and the health attributes and all the, the, the benefits that you want to call out. But in terms of the actual creative work going out into, you know, um, you know, more, you know, social and digital channels, like, that's where you can take more liberties in terms of crafting a tone. I think Halo Top has done an amazing job. Um, it's like to kind of like to me, like the best case study of that, where you've got front and center, you know, the calorie count is the hero. Um, but then you've got this amazing brand tone and like, you know, like their, their campaign around, you know, ice cream for adults that is hysterical, you know, true, poignant, you know, shareable, all those things. But it's 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 not really harping on the calories. You know, they kind of reserve that for that um, that last few inches at, at retail. Let's shift over a little bit from the dairy side to plant based foods. That's something that I know came up in the study. Um, I mean, the the term plant based is pretty much the buzzword of the year in food with Beyond Meat, Impossible Burger, and and all of their competitors. So what were some of the findings that you saw in terms of people's interest in plant-based diets or plant-based foods? Yeah, I mean, just that, that, that they were open to it and, then, and that people were incorporating it. I mean, I feel like I've been hearing it a lot as a, as a, buzzword, as a buzzword, as you mentioned. I mean, you know, kind of just like working in the trades. But um, I, what I was genuinely surprised by in, in our research was, um, you know, the, the large percentage of people um, that were both open to it and already um, sort of adopting that, you know, and, I, you know, I, I, maybe I'm just a traditionalist. I, I feel like I'm surrounded by a lot of, you know, meat eaters and people that kind of scoff at, at those alternatives. And, you know, I'm someone who actually loves, you know, plant-based foods. Like I'll eat a veggie burger, not as a surrogate for a burger, but just because I like the flavor profile. And um, sometimes I put bacon on it, which mm -hmm. is super weird. But, <laughs> um, uh, but I, but that, I think that sort of goes back to my point of, you know, it, it, it kind of feels like 
plant-based foods is like a, a vegetarian only thing um, historically. And it, you sort of have to like almost change the way you dress to, you know, to, to sort of adopt those types of things. And what I, I, I found really refreshing to see was that, you know, people were incorporating it um, in, in far greater numbers than, than what I had anticipated. But it's not necessarily that much better for you. I mean, I think it's, it's kind of funny that because it comes from a plant, it automatically gets this health halo and it's better for the environment perhaps. And, and there are plenty of studies that have broken that down, right? How much energy it takes to have a cow and a pasture and all of that versus creating something. But when it comes to fat content or sodium content, a lot of these things aren't necessarily any better for you than traditional meat-based alternatives. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think just the, the ultra processed foods in general is, um, is uh, you know, just a huge problem. I mean, I think it's like over 50% of the average diet is ultra processed foods. And this isn't really curbing that, you know, but, um, when I, when I see plant-based alternatives to me, um, you know, that, that is beyond the, you know, the, the kind of things grabbing headlines, like in, you know, impossible or beyond me, that, that type of stuff, you know, just the idea of, you know, making plants kind of, um, more the cornerstone of meals and, and the fact that people are kind of open to that, if you do it right, um, is, is something that I think is, is a huge opportunity to kind of, you know, really lean into the, the plant, um, plant focus versus, um, you know, just again, making it just a replacement. And are there brands out there that you're seeing older brands, established brands saying, Hey, wait, we've been plant-based this whole time. Let's figure out a way to incorporate this into our language. Um, I mean, nothing comes to mind off the top of my head. Um, but I do think that that would be a huge opportunity if I was, you know, working on or consulting with a brand that was in that situation, you know, to really kind of like reevaluate dust off and say, Hey, let's, let's start getting more credit for the, you know, the, the things that we've been doing. Um, but through a fresh tone, I think that nobody wants to, you know, hear from a brand that, that, you know, kind of says like, Hey, you know, but, but we've been doing this for all these years, you know, you gotta, you gotta think, you know, creatively find a new way of saying what you've always stood for. Um, some, some of those instances. Um, but I do think that, um, absolutely. If I was in that position as a product, as a, as a brand manager, I would, I would be seizing this opportunity right now to, to get more credit for that. Okay. And it seemed like things like healthy fats, which a few years ago, that would have been on the no, no list. Healthy fats are really hot right now. Um, I want to make sure we talk a little bit about the non-dairy side of things because again, plant-based non-dairy milks and things like that are having their moment, right? Mm -hmm. Um, are there any categories that you see sort of bubbling up that, that marketers should be on the lookout for within food, within food and beverage? Are there any buzzwords that you heard from, from people in the study saying, Hey, I'm paying attention to. Yeah. I don't know, CBD products or something like that. I, yeah. I, and <laughs> yeah, you kind of took it out of my mind. I mean, I, I almost kind of winced to kind of bring it up because it does feel kind of, um, you know, sort of the the only thing people are talking about these days. But it, it was, um, you know, fielded as part of that that same questionnaire. And um, I, I, I you do see that, you know, it's, it's over the 50% mark of people that, um, you know, are are certainly um, interested in and or uh, already you know starting to incorporate um, some CBD infused products. Again, plant based was far um, you know far higher in terms of you know what people were already doing, but the appeal for CBD is 
you know, being over 50% of, of respondents that we heard from already um, seems to kind of be indicative of how fast that's that's really starting to, to catch fire. Okay. And then I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the gender differences that came across in the study. The study was yeah. went out to 50% men, 50% women, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. And it seemed like a greater percentage of women, 82% said they believe healthy eating is important or very important versus 74% of men. Maybe not a huge percentage difference, but mm-hmm. um, what kind of implications does that have for marketers? And then um, we can keep talking about the gender differences after that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm glad you asked. This is like my favorite uh, aspect of this this study, um, which I, I just found it um, so uh true and it felt very um very familiar but to actually have it broken down in terms of you know what is um what's really dictating and driving behaviors between both sexes um it kind of again not to harp on it goes back to language you know what we saw was that you know in the responses from you know women you know they're I think it was four times more likely than men to to use the word less and you know it seemed to they have a you know, a reductive approach to what healthy means. It's, you know, it's eliminating things or less this, less that. Whereas the, um, the men tend to really be motivated by, um, you know, the more, 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 you know, more, you know, healthy fats, more protein, um, all that stuff. It was it's just a super interesting, but critical difference in terms of, you know, how are you going to market to a specific audience? If, if there is a gender skew to that, you know, a simple shift, um, you know, towards using the word, you know, replace for women, for instance, is something that, um, that seemed to, to be, you know, way more appealing, um, and likely to, to persuade purchase, um, than, than just, again, going with, you know, sort of traditional language, like low fat or, you know, uh, low calorie, no carb, you know, it's sort of this idea of, uh, of swapping things out and replacing things, um, that seem to really appeal for women. And then with men, it's like, uh, you know, you really kind of layer on, you know, the added benefits that you'll be getting um, to, to drive purchase. Okay. So does this mean that brands need to have separate campaigns or should think about having separate campaigns to appeal to both groups? I think it'd be a really smart approach, honestly, um, um, to because again, because it feels like it's it's such a, a, a simple switch to just really kind of tailor some messaging um, in, a, in a really smart, targeted way. I think... Um, you know, I think there's other motivators, you know, outside of um, just the word choices. I think, um, you know, uh, occasions uh, and, and there was some really some really insightful stuff around, um, you know, what what triggers men and women to eat um, unhealthily. Um, and I think that knowing where and when, um, you know, people are more likely to make a good or a bad decision um, is, is a huge thing to pay attention to and, and, you know, and another potential opportunity on how to leverage um, your messaging. Um, so for instance, you know, men are more likely to fall victim to peer pressure in, in um, you know, in social groups and social settings. You know, I, I went to a baseball game the other day and I wasn't even peer pressured, but I just, I was at a baseball game and it was 80 degrees. So I had, you know, a giant beer and a giant sausage and you know what I mean? Like I didn't even need it. It just, but it felt right, you know, peanuts and everything. And it's just, but I was with a group of people and I wouldn't dare have ordered, you know, a Caesar wrap. Like it just didn't feel right. And I think that, you know, what we saw in the, in the, um, in the study was that, you know, women are the opposite. They, they tend to make bad decisions, you know, in, in more private settings, you know, after uh, a long day after they've been 
when, when nobody else is around, like they're, they're, um, um, you know, looking for opportunities to indulge. And so, you know, knowing what, when and where people are making decisions and what, what's the environmental impact and the, the atmosphere that is, that is influencing that is, is, you know, a really cool thing to, you know, leverage or to exploit or to, to nourish to, if you want to try to curb behavior, uh, if you're, if you can acknowledge what's causing it, then you can solve the problem for them. And by solving the problem for the brand, it would be a good thing if I'm sitting at home and eating a bag of chips and polishing it off with a couple of cookies mm-hmm. where we're, we're getting far away from the health conversation, yeah. but I, I may know, I may know a thing or two about yeah. that. Um, and what about pricing when it comes to healthier food? Is there We mentioned earlier that people were worried about cost and convenience and and those barriers may be shifting a little bit. Um, Is is cost still top of mind for people when it comes to eating healthy? Yeah, I mean, cost is, I think there's the traditional mindset that, you know, that people still hold um, that, you know, if it's if it's, if you want healthier, you're paying more for it. Um, but I do think, um, you know, I recent, this wasn't in the study, um, that we've been referencing, but I did recently, um, lead a, a series of focus groups for, for one of our, our clients. And, um, we, we kept coming back to like magic numbers of what people felt like, um, you know, like for instance, you know, $9.99, you know, $10 for a lunch for a meal that was healthy, you know, felt like it, that was, that was okay. But anything north of $10, you know, it was like expensive. Um, but they were willing to spend $10, you know, for a lunch, which was more than, you know, you know, something, there's plenty of, of things you could buy for lunch, um, you know, you know, far south of $10. But there, there was a re- like a kind of these magic sweet spots of, of sort of like accepted prices to pay for health. Um, and so I, I found that really interesting. And so I think that's getting more, um, getting more data on that. Um, could really sort of, again, figure out the, the different sweet spots for how to, um, you know, really kind of convert an early majority of people um, to, to try something healthier and, and put it, you know, make it part of their routine. And what advice do you have for a brand that maybe is trying to improve how people feel about the product? Are there any tips that you would offer to brands um, in terms of their wording or you know, their, their choice of, of who they're featuring in ads or anything like that. Yeah, I, I would say just, you know, kind of in the theme of, you know, keeping it conversational, I would say when it comes to influence, um, and this is something that the study touches on, but, you know, I, I know people are very quick to, you know, just go to paid influencers or even, you know, when you, when, when budgets permit, you know, um, you know, celebrity spokesmen and things like that. But the, you know, what we see is that your immediate social circle is really what's, um, you know, dictating your, your behavior when it comes to, to eating healthy. And so I think figuring out, um, you know, or not losing sight of, you know, what people are actually influenced by. Um, another one that was interesting that popped up was doctors. Um, we were, I was really surprised to see that, that, you know, people are actually paying attention to their doctors and, and that's, uh, that, that what they are hearing from their doctors is actually, you know, finding its way into their, their shopping and eating behavior. Um, you know, so it's again, you know, not your traditional, like, you know, hire a, a, you know, celebrity chef to endorse something, um, but there might be some more creative, um, but yet effective ways to, to really influence people, um, when you think of them through that lens. Okay. And a couple of parting questions for you, CJ, before we go. What is your favorite healthy food? Oh, wow. My favorite healthy food. Again, healthy is relative. Right. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, 
does red wine count? <laughs> um, I, I'm obsessed with, um, I, you know, I do have the luxury of living um, in, a, in a place with a lot of Wegmans around. Um, and so, you know, they have that mantra of um, food you feel good about on a lot of their, their, their products. They have a um, fruit and nut mix that sits in the drawer of my desk that gets consumed at a probably an unhealthy pace. <laughs> but uh, technically it's healthy. It's got a lot of berries and nuts. Okay. And when you let yourself indulge, what's your favorite, what you would describe as a non-healthy snack, non-healthy food? Um, I am, I'm one of those people that, um, will never say no to ice cream. If it's, if it's an opportunity, you know, I have two small children and, you know, if the sun's shining <laughs> and the places are open, you know, it's, I'll find an excuse to go get ice cream. And I certainly have never gone to an ice cream parlor, um, or seen someone open up a carton of ice cream and passed. It's very, very difficult for me to um, not see that occasion as, as one to, uh, to embrace. So I don't think that'll ever go away. All right. Well, now that you've made me hungry, I think we can, uh, <laughs> t- we can t- leave it here and go get ourselves some snacks. But again, thanks to CJ Gaffney of Partners in Napier for joining me on this episode of Marketers Brief. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And I'm Jessica Wall, food reporter at AdAge. As always, I want to thank our producer, Max Sternlich, and invite you to subscribe to Marketers Brief on your favorite player. We promise to live up to our name and keep these podcasts brief, or at least short enough for your commute. I think now, CJ, that you mentioned ice cream, I think just for the sake of my throat, I need to go have one right now. So leave it there and catch you next time. Thanks a lot. <laughs>